0: Hey, welcome back to showing table talk. In today's episode, we will move our view away from England and back onto the world. You see, the detectives we've covered so far were all heroes of the so-called golden age of detective fiction. They were predominantly popular in an era between 1920 and 1930. And this era was dominated by the British. We had Sherlock Holmes, Miss Marple, Hercule Poirot, Peter Wimsey, even Auguste Dupin. All of them come from the feathers of English-speaking authors. And I'm sure you know a lot of detectives that are not British. But how many detectives do you know that actually originated from a non-English country? Well, after today, you will know at least one. Join me as we make a trip to the eastern part of Europe, where I will tell you about one of the finest gentleman detectives, Mother Russia, has ever produced. Episode eight, ensuring for its table talk. Erast Petrovich Fandorin. Be honest, when you think about Russia, you probably have something in mind like Stalin, World War II, the Cold War, vodka. Maybe you also think about something current like Vladimir Putin, conflicts in the Ukraine. Something in that direction? Yeah, whatever, don't worry. Nothing that serious will flow into today's topic. I'd even say that, apart from Vodka, none of these things play any role in the Russia of Erast Petrovich Fandorin. Quite the contrary, even. The world of Imperial Russia that the author Boris Akunin draws out for us in his stories is a beautiful place. It's very romantic and rich in European history. Starting in 1721, the Russian Empire quickly developed into the third-largest empire in human history. Can you believe that? It stretched over three continents, and only the Mongol and the British Empire surpassed it in size. Russia at that time was an empirical monarchy. It was led by the families of the Tsars. Maybe you have heard of the Romanovs? I think they were the topic of a popular TV series or something. And then there is Natasha Romanoff from the Avengers. Anyway, they were in charge and they were very popular. Russian people, at least as it is described in the Fandorin stories, treated them like gods. Yeah, well, okay, at some point the people had enough of them and... After the so-called February Revolution in 1917, the Russian Empire came to an end and made place for a provisional government. But still, this empire lasted 196 years. It's quite impressive, right? Now who is this Erast Petrovich von Dorin? Oh, and before I forget, the books often label the characters with their first and middle name. And that is something I learned when I had a little bit of Russian a couple of years ago. We were told that it is common in Russia to give children their parents' names for middle names. So the boys receive their father's name as a middle name with the ending of Ovich or Yevich. And the girls get the mother's name with the ending of Ovna or Yevna. And now if you would meet someone a couple of times and you're not friends yet, but let's say better acquaintances, you could start addressing them by first and middle name. Okay, so just a little bit of naming signs here before we start. Now, Eras Petrovich, so his father's name is probably Peter or Pyotr, is a Russian gentleman detective written by Boris Akunin. Boris Akunin which is actually a pseudonym for Grigory Chirkartishvili, is a former historian and philologist. He worked many years as a renovated translator for Japanese into Russian and English. The influences of his former profession can be seen all over the Fandorin stories. Even his last name, Akunin, is an allusion to the Japanese word for great bad man. I don't know why he decided to call himself that way, but a mighty important and successful Russian man who calls himself Great Bad Man? Well, I wouldn't ask too many questions. But jokes aside, Fandorin is number three on my personal all-time greatest fictional detectives list. As you can probably imagine, Sherlock Holmes is my number one. Then comes... Uh, Detective as number two we haven't covered so far, and so he will remain mysterious. But then, right after that, follows our new Russian friend. Erast von Dorin, in his prime, and I say that because, just like Lord Peter Wimsey, he ages through the stories, can be best described by a critics' review that was printed on the back of the first novel of the series, Winter Queen. It titled "Fandorin's character as a combination between Sherlock Holmes and James Bond. And I think that this is a very fitting description, because Van Dorin has all the assets of a genius detective becoming super spy. Aras Petrovich is a very handsome young man, with black hair, a small moustache and grey temples that stand in great contrast towards his otherwise young appearance. He's always dressed neatly and acts according the proper ways of the gentleman. He stutters when he talks, but then surprisingly doesn't when he's in a stressful situation or when he's in disguise. He's a brilliant tactical thinker and he makes use of several crime-solving techniques from psychology to criminology when solving a case. He's not really afraid to do the dirty work either, quite the contrary even. Van Doren is used to collect information and evidence independently and with great precision. There is no place on earth that is safe from him and there is no enemy that is too dangerous. Van Doren has exceptional athletic abilities. He can move in the most acrobatic ways possible and he is an excellent hand-to-hand combat fighter and master of different Japanese martial arts. He has speeding reflexes and he's much stronger than he looks, as he can effortlessly hold down a grown man with just two fingers. He speaks many different languages, including Japanese, which he speaks fluently. Throughout his adventures, he travels all over the globe, and he also has many different romances all over the continents he visits. His normal daily routine is scheduled around discipline and old Japanese traditions. Van Duren frequently makes use of different meditation techniques, like for example Enzo, the art of drawing a circle with an inkbrush in order to acquire peace and enlightenment. He also regularly studies new sciences and criminology and also other areas useful for his business, and he likes to work very systematically. He has the habit of listing up his conclusions in numbered sentences, like this first, this second, this third, etc. He also always carries around a small jade rosary bed and he immediately starts clacking with its light green pearls as soon as he starts deducing or concluding. The time in the Fandorin stories stretches between 1876 and 1918. So the stories end together with the end of the Russian Empire. The books themselves can be considered modern because the first one came out in 1998 and the last one was published just recently in 2018. Overall, there are 15 novels in total so far. What I love so much about the Fandorian stories is first of all the setting of Imperial Russia, which I just came to find just as cozy historical and beautiful as Victorian England. Moscow at that time, the place Van Dorin calls his home, is not the capital of Russia, but just Russia's second largest city. The capital city was St. Petersburg up until 1917. Imperial Moscow has all the charm of other European cities at that time, but it is added with this extra flavor of Russian wildness. There are a lot of the elements we already know from British detective stories like horse carriages, fancily dressed gentlemen and ladies, fine clubs, magnificent government buildings and high streets paired, of course, with areas of the poor and the wretched. But on top of everything come the Russian extras now. Women and men are dressed fancier than in England. The gentlemen's beards are a little more pompous, the ladies' dresses a little bit more glamorous and colorful, and the overall appearance of the rich and the noble is a little bit less timid and even consciously more prideful than great. Everywhere is a surprisingly high influence of the French and the latest Parisian trends, especially when it comes to food, dresses, and even the language. It was considered a fine tone when you would be able to spice up your language with the one or the other French word or saying. It showed that you are a global thinker, an artisan maybe even. And all of that also brings me to Akunin's great character design and his descriptions of people's mannerisms and quirks. The characters in the Fandorin stories are hilarious sometimes but they still appear very real throughout. When Fandorin for example meets higher officers or statespeople, you always would wonder if these people really existed because they seem so unique and this way the Fandorin stories are very immersive and that is something a good detective story at least in my opinion, must have. Immersion. Now, as I said before, Erast van Dorin ages throughout the novels. And of course, he isn't the brilliant superstar detective when we, the readers, first meet him. A very unique and interesting aspect about the van Dorin series is that we can follow van Dorin's struggles and we can witness his development. We are introduced to how he accomplishes things, how he learns certain skills, and how he grows as a character. And I again have to say that Akunin makes a great job this way in making Fandorin immersive. Most of the stories are written from Fandorin's perspective, which again is very unlike the traditional detective format, where normally a character from the outside witnesses the genius in charge solving a case. But listening to Van Doren's thoughts, his plans, his feelings make him appear much more human. And of course, this way, we are informed about the character's doubts and fears too. And that again accomplishes a more personal connection between detective and reader. It also has the effect of lifting the curtain in some way. And a lot of Van Doren's conclusions and his thoughts seem much less unearthly, Everything feels more accomplishable and therefore makes Erast van Dorin seem realistic. I even remember that when I read the first books, I tried to find out if someone close to van Dorin has lived during that time or whether he was even loosely based on a certain popular historical figure. But no, he's really just a fidget of Akunin's imagination. Now we learn about Van Dorin for the first time in the novel Winter Queen. Winter Queen is the English title the original title is Asasil, which in my opinion refers more to the content of the book. I don't know why they changed it but yeah. So Winter Queen plays in Moscow in 1876 and a freshly 20-year-old Erast Van Dorin has just started to work for the Moscow Criminal Department. We learn that he's an orphan. His mother died shortly after his birth and his father, who was a gambler and alcoholic, just passed away recently too. Van Dorin, short in money, but loaded with his father's debts, was forced to quit university and start to work for his living. He works in a lower secretary position, so at a desk job, because he has proven to be unusable for the field services. On his first day of duty he passed out when he was seeing a dead corpse. But nonetheless he is of some use because he speaks many languages so he speaks English, French and German and he can write very well. We find out that he is very vain. For example he secretly wears a corset or a girdle so that his shoulders appear broader. And uh, overall, he has very much a gentleman demeanor and uh, he puts great emphasis on proper chivalry. Now, through a lucky strain of events, Van Dorin gets pulled into a case that more and more grows over his head. We find out that this young man is exceptionally clever and he's full of potential. But he's also a young man. He's very naive And overall, he's not ready yet for the challenges he has to face. Now, in order to better understand the Russian police system and Fandoren's success in it, I think it would be useful to dive a little bit deeper into the police ranks of the Russian Empire. These ranks were very different to the British and American police positions and they can be seen as much more military. These positions were sorted according to the so-called Table of Ranks, which was a sorting system for higher government, military and court officials. The system was introduced by the Emperor Peter the Great in 1721. Each position in each area had a different name, but they were all equally powerful and influential and therefore they can easily be compared to one another. The highest rank in the criminal department, was the so-called chancellor. The chancellor was pretty much a state minister and corresponded to an admiral of the navy or a general in the army. Erast van Dorin, in Winter Queen, starts at rank 14, which is the lowest rank, but it could still only be taken by an outsider through finishing higher school education. The position was called collegiate registrar and it would already be considered a position of nobility, meaning that lower-ranking policemen were forced to address Van Derin with you're well-born. And this form of addressing was also not random, but officially stated, and it changed with the ranks. From including rank 8 and higher, it changed to you're high well-born. Then it would go on to high-born, excellency, and eventually High Excellency. A collegiate registrar, for better understanding, can be seen as similar to a fendrick or a cornet in an infantry. Throughout the novel Winter Queen, Van Doren would improve his position up until rank 9, to the so-called titular councillor. This position would already be above a lieutenant of the army, and this career jump was astonishing to other more experienced statesmen, because they couldn't understand how a greenhorn like our Erast Petrovich, who at that time was only still 20 years old, could reach such a high position. But our hero wouldn't stop there. Of course, there was more to come. Van Doren would further improve throughout his many adventures until he held the title of state councillor. And the state councillor was rank 5 in this government system. It was the highest position he would ever hold over his whole governmental career and it corresponded to a major general or colonel in the army. This title also would come with hereditary nobility and now people would address him with your highborn. Now Van Derin was not only a high policeman but a state official. But until then there was still a long way to go for our detective. After the adventures of Winter Queen, Fandorin would move to the frontier of the war between the Ottoman Empire and the Russian Empire. In Turkish Gambit, which is the second novel of the series and which plays one year after Winter Queen, we can already see that Fandorin has grown as a person. The past events have left their mark and Fandorin is a little bit more badass in this one. It is also the first time he uses his quote-unquote superpower consciously. This power was already hinted at in Winter Queen, but it is only in Turkish Gambit that we, the readers, really realize that there is something going on here. Erast Van Doren has the strange ability to never lose at gambling. Never. Whatever the reason, fate will always turn towards him in case luck is the sole or main determinant. But because Van Dorin has a moral codex and he emphasizes proper chivalry, he would never use it for his advantage, except when there are higher ethical means to accomplish or simply when he is forced to participate in some kind of gambling match. It is alluded from time to time that this strange demeanor of Lady Luck has something to do with fandorin's father, who always lost at gambling, and that, you know, Luck skips a generation, but then pays back its debts. But, apart from that, it is never really explained. In Turkish Gambit, we see fandorin through the eyes of a young lady, who, just like him, gets pulled into this conflict unwillingly. It must also be said that it is fair to label Turkish Gambit more as a historical thriller than as a detective mystery. There is some detective investigation on Van Doren's part going on, but the main focus of the story lies on the characters of the war, the country's conflict itself and all the historical events surrounding it. Now, don't worry, I don't want to list up every novel for you here now, but I find it helpful to use some of them as support to show you Fandorin's character development. His growth as a person is very closely linked to the adventures he faces, which is not surprising, but it also brings the reader, you know, to read the novels chronologically, because otherwise you would be surprised how much he has changed. And as you can maybe imagine by the character I presented you in the beginning, Fandorin changes drastically. He has grown a little bit between Winter Queen and Turkish Gambit, but he proceeds to make another 180-degree shift through the next two stories. So let's have a look at novel number three, Murder on the Leviathan. This story is probably the one book of the series that can most definitely be titled as classical detective murder mystery. The Leviathan is a cruise ship on its way to Japan, the story is told from the perspective of the French inspector with the name of Gauche. The ship sets sails, and soon after, a murder happens, and all the suspects belong to the first class passengers. One of them is our friend Eras Petrovich, who is now a diplomat, and he's on his way to his first new post in Japan. Again, he has changed significantly. His boyish demeanor is pretty much gone. He is now dressed well. He acts elegantly and self-assured and he has started to work out body and mind. He has boarded the ship alongside several heavy dumbbells and lots and lots of packages of books. And also, the ladies in the story cannot help themselves but notice this young, clever and fit Russian gentleman and so we're introduced to Fandorin, the Heartbreaker for the first time. The story overall is a very easy read, with lots of humor, romance, drama and cleverness. So it is a very nice detective story. But now let's talk a bit about the final story, novel number four. Because this story kind of rounds up Van Doren's drastic character development. After this one, I would say all the important elements of the series have become clear to the reader and we kind of know what to expect. So this story number four is called The Death of Achilles and it deals with the murder of General Sobolev. General Sobolev was a decorated war hero in the conflict with the Ottoman Empire and we already came to meet him through Turkish Gambit. Erast van Dolin, freshly returned from his four years in Japan, naturally takes on this case. But this time he's not alone. He is accompanied by his new vessel friend and sidekick, Masahiro Shibata. Short, Masa. And boy, do I love this guy. I would not be surprised if he is one of the reader's overall favorite characters. And by all respect to John Watson, Masa is such a great sidekick. It's phenomenal. Now, Maza is a short, round Japanese man who has a very magical hand for women. Although he's by no means a good-looking man, he's quite the Casanova, much more even than Erast van Dorin. But to our detective's luck, Maza prefers equally round, let's call them curvy women. So at least the two never have a quarrel in that way. Maza is also mainly responsible for a lot of humorous encounters and elements in this story. That is first of all due to his very unique way of living according to old Japanese tradition. Secondly, his overall lack of understanding the European culture. And thirdly, his hilarious determination to please Erast Fandorin, who he calls his master. But Maza is not the only new thing about Fandorin's life. Fandorin has changed his habits, his food, his daily routine, and his sportiness have changed. The life in Japan has turned the detective into a Russian-Japanese ninja-samurai hybrid. He knows Japanese now. He engages in the ridiculous feats of athletic ability, strength and speed that I talked about earlier. And he eats and trains according to the way of the ninja. He has more or less turned into a superhuman. But nonetheless, the story is again written from Fandorin's perspective, and it is a very highly entertaining adventure. So, a lot of the other stories are noteworthy as well, of course, but they do not necessarily introduce a new Fandorin to us, and that is why I won't go into too much detail with them. To round up, it can be said that Eras Fandorin is a very unique detective, as he is, like I already said, very human appears very realistic and fantastical at the same time and has many assets of a hero in an adventure movie or a spy movie. Having a last look at Erast van Dorin's archetype, his detective archetype, yeah, we can do that again, Erast van Dorin starts as a police detective. He then works as a private investigator at some point he switches back to being an amateur detective and um, since he also uses many different methods of crime science it also can be said that he's kind of a forensic specialist. So he's in fact our first detective who uses up all the archetypes. Now again, seeing him as a Sherlock Holmes super spy is a very fitting choice. If you want to enjoy the Fandorin books as well I'd recommend you to read the ones I told you about and then maybe go on with Diamond Chariot. This story tells all about Van time in Japan and how he suddenly became a superhero. And then my personal recommendations would also be He Lover of Death and She Lover of Death. Both books tell about cases Van solves simultaneously, also in different roles, saying different disguises. And then in the end, everything gets entangled. And um, let's say it's just a very, very unique and interesting reading experience. Yeah, and then, uh, well, you know what? Go on and read everything else. I don't think there are too many blunders. And, well, pretty much every book is worth your while. So, thank you for listening to the episode. If you have any complaints, wishes or suggestions, feel free to contact me on my Instagram page, which is sharingford's underscore table underscore talk. Or consider writing a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also subscribe on many platforms if you want to support the show and want to help me reach a wider audience. Okay, have a great day and I hope that you hope to hear from me again.